This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, August 30th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Telluride announces town council candidates. Showtime in Telluride. Town looks for a bold new brand. And a mountain weather forecast. But first... Kodo is proudly non-underwritten, non-commercial, and independent. It's who we are and what we do. But that doesn't mean making radio is free. It costs money to run the station, produce community news, and keep our broadcast signal strong and expanding. Pitch in to support your community radio station during our summer fun drive by donating at koto.org. And thanks. Two, and possibly three, individuals are vying to become Telluride mayor, and another seven are looking to join town council. Telluride announced the candidates for November's election this week. Mian Fee and Teddy Erico have thrown their names in the ring to serve as Telluride mayor. Fee, in her role as mayor pro tem, has been fulfilling the duties of mayor since Delaney Young stepped down from the position earlier this year. Jesse Ray Arguez also submitted a petition for mayor, but did not have sufficient signatures to be guaranteed a spot on the ballot. To qualify for the election, a nominee must submit a petition with 25 verified signatures. Arguez submitted 27 signatures, but 10 were disqualified. She has until Friday at 5 p.m. to present 25 verified signatures. Lachey Betton, Jenny Carlson, Amy Levick, Ellen Eleven, Maria Stark, Ashley Story, and Jonathan Yassin are all looking to earn a spot on town council. There are officially two seats open for town council. Current council member Lars Carlson is termed out and cannot seek re-election. Council member Adrian Christie is not seeking a second term. If Fee or Arguez are elected mayor, the third highest vote getter in the election will also join town council. However, that individual would only serve the remainder of the term, two years. The highest two vote-getters will serve four-year terms. If Fee or Arguez are not elected mayor, they will remain on town council. In addition to mayor and town council, Daniel Zemke is seeking re-election for town meeting moderator. He is the only candidate for that position. The town of Telluride is also putting two ballot measures before voters, regarding who qualifies as an elector and the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, or TABOR. KOTO News will host forums with the candidates in the lead-up to the election. Telluride will hold its mayoral and town council election on Tuesday, November 7th. There will also be three school board seats up for election, and several special districts are considering putting ballot measures before voters. Individuals may register to vote through Election Day. I'm outside the Brigadoon in Telluride, the big white tent which serves as the hub of all things Film Fest. It's Wednesday afternoon, and the films have yet to start rolling, but on the occasion of its 50th, TFF has thrown open the Brigadoon doors, released its lineup a day earlier than usual, and is dropping programs in the hands of eager film aficionados. We took a minute to catch up with them before the 50th festival gets underway. Gary Shapiro keeps a place in Telluride, but like most of the crowd, 
he hails from Los Angeles. And, and you know, we've been coming here for 30 years and, and it's, the festival's always been amazing and it's getting better all the time. And, um, and I know there's some really great movies coming. While Gary is watching films, his wife Jane says she'll be focused on something else. I'm always excited about the film festival because I like to draw the directors. I have a collection of about 500 directors over the years that I've drawn and painted from this festival. So Cool, so you, I can... you sit in the back and doodle. Exactly, I'm a doodler. Breaking out her pad, Jane has sketches upon sketches of notables from over the years. We spot a prior sketch of a festival regular, the director Alfonso Cuaron, who will be in attendance again this year. And there's Mr. Cuaron, who will be yeah. favorite. Yeah. But the regular buzz around which stars will descend on Telluride has taken a back seat. The film industry has been roiling all summer with a double strike as actors and writers have walked off the job demanding better work conditions. Major studios, some of them TFF sponsors, Netflix, Amazon, Sony, haven't budged. And in the meantime, actors are barred from promoting their work. Thus, any talent in attendance will be keeping a low profile. Shapiro, who has worked in the industry in the past, is hoping to see some developments soon. The studios must, first of all, must give in. And I think by the, I'm in the minority, but I think right after Labor Day, we're going to see a settlement and I think the workers are going to get a, a significantly better deal. Despite the distinct shadow of the strike and the awkwardness in Hollywood at the moment, the festival is charging on. Austin Sipes is in from Santa Monica. He runs the festival Student Symposium, which is part of its education and outreach initiatives. For Sipes, there's nothing like TFF. The access you get to filmmakers here and the curation of films here is, there's no one's on par with it. It's amazing. And of course, it's a beautiful town. Another thing the strike won't change, for this Angelino, it's the scenery. Natalie Camo is my name, and you know it's funny for me. So I tried my best to like not look at anything that's going to mm -hmm. be happening, and so when I when I'm coming, I get most excited about just coming to Telluride and seeing like the locals here and the beauty of the mountains. Molly Galetto is not from LA; she's from Telluride, and has a message for other Telluridians. Oh my gosh! Get the program and look at it. Find the free stuff and go. Never forget to go to the outdoor theaters because those are the best. And they're free. Indeed, this year the festival has almost doubled its free offerings with nightly unticketed shows in both Town Park and Elks Park. You could see the premiere of Wildcat, Ethan Hawke's biopic exploring the life of writer Flannery O'Connor. You could catch a conversation between the festival guest directors, including novelist Rachel Kushner and Oscar winner Steve McQueen. Perhaps settle in for a Pedro Almodovar short film. And whatever you do, be in Town Park at 8.15 on Sunday night for a concert featuring musician Jean-Baptiste live and in person before the showing of a new documentary which explores his artistry and work programs are available with a full schedule down here at the Brigadoon. And all weekend, the show will go on.
the town of Telluride is getting a fresh new look. How fresh and new is still up in the air. Town manager Scott Robson spoke at town council last week about efforts to rebrand and unify the various town of Telluride logos. He begins by posing a question. Are you as council looking for kind of the the fresh new start or vision forward, or are you looking to kind of refine the old, if you will? In other words, should the new logo be something entirely different, or should it pay homage to the existing logo, which is a swooping Victorian script of the word Telluride printed in cobalt blue? It's important to establish which direction town would like to go in before presenting options to the public. Looking at a fairly conservative rebrand, which simply remodels the town's existing logo, Assistant Town Manager Zoe Denall explains, We haven't presented that option to anybody because people grasp the familiar. Mm -hmm. And so if we present that, that is most likely going to be the direction that people go. So if town wants to go bold, it should commit and present only bold options to the public. Telluride is partnering with the marketing and design firm Monogle on the project. At the meeting, town staff rolled out a number of Monogle's preliminary designs. Communications Director Lindsay Mills tells council the next step will be bringing those options to the public. The next step for for your knowledge, council, will be a public survey to continue to gain feedback and direction from the people that matter most to us, our stakeholders, our residents. But council member Adrian Christie isn't so sure. You're going to go to the public with these without like refining a little further? The consensus on council was that town is ready for a bold new rebrand and should move its next logo in a new direction. However, council suggested that the options presented at the meeting were not quite ready for public input and needed to be brought back to the drawing board. I feel like we should be going to them with like three solid ideas that we're willing to go down that road. While much remains up in the air, Lindsay Mills does add town is certain of one thing. While different departments currently have slightly different brand identities, all of those will be brought together under one umbrella. The the really important piece is it has to be one logo. So unifying all of the departments and helping people understand that this is the town of Telluride's effort in Parks and Rec and in public works and in finance. It's a unified brand that is the town of Telluride. The exception to that rule is the Galloping Goose, whose wacky and lovable cartoon insignia will remain untouched. On Tuesday afternoon, a medical emergency resulted in the death of a man visiting the San Juans on a bike tour. Charles Chuck Miller, a resident of Southern California, lost his life while biking on Last Dollar Road. Miller and three friends had spent the past few days pedaling on an extended tour of the region and set off on the morning of the 29th for another day on the trail. Miller was feeling unwell. Around midday, he collapsed. His traveling companions performed CPR until EMS responded, but resuscitation efforts were unsuccessful. Miller is survived by his sisters, Connie and Chris, his stepson Patrick, and his wife Susie. He was 63 years old. Mine tailings linger. Even decades after our region's mining operations shuttered, we're still addressing pockets of soil and water contaminated with heavy metals. How might those metals be affecting area wildlife and the folks who eat off the land? When it comes to fish populations, the answer appears to be not much. 
after a recent survey, Colorado Parks and Wildlife confirmed fish in the San Miguel River, as well as in the Ridgeway Reservoir, are safe for human consumption. Fish were tested for heavy metals such as lead and copper. All sampling efforts showed fish in the area are safe to eat. The Colorado Energy Office is launching a program this week that will let people trade in gas-powered or high-emission vehicles for rebates that they can use to purchase or lease an electric vehicle. The Vehicle Exchange Colorado program is designed to expand access to EVs for low- and middle-income Coloradans. Program manager Ed Piersa hopes it will also help move the entire state in the right direction. The program will benefit all Coloradans by helping improve air quality and reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the state. So there are multiple benefits to this program. This effort is part of the state's plan to have almost a million EVs on Colorado roads by 2030. Currently, there are 90,000 in the state. Vehicle Exchange Colorado applications will open on Thursday at 9 a.m. The court proceedings in the case against the alleged King Super's shooter in Boulder are moving forward, albeit slowly. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Shannon Young has more. Defense and prosecution attorneys were in court yesterday after a psychiatric evaluation found the defendant accused of murdering 10 people at a Boulder King Super's competent to stand trial. The mass shooting took place on March 22nd of 2021, and the defendant is the only suspect in the case. Boulder District Attorney Michael Doherty urged the presiding judge to deny a request for a second evaluation, citing already long delays in the case and the emotional toll it takes on victims' families. Public defender Catherine Harold described her client as profoundly mentally ill and argued that putting him on trial would violate his due process rights. The judge denied the request for a second evaluation and set a restoration hearing for October 3rd and a preliminary hearing for the morning of November 14th. In the meantime, the defendant will remain at a state psychiatric facility in Pueblo, where, unlike in a county jail, he may receive what was referred to as involuntary medication. For KGNU, I'm Shannon Young. Millions of refugees have left Ukraine since the war began, and some of them are seeking safety in Jackson, Wyoming, and joining a growing Eastern European community in the region. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KHOL's Hannah Merzbach spent time with one Ukrainian family who is acclimating to life in the Mountain West, and their freedom baby, who made it possible to keep them together and safe. Nestled between lush green hills and surrounded by sky-high sunflowers, Tamora Zizov sits on the back patio of a home south of Jackson. Dogs run and play in the yard near Game Creek. The serene summer scene is much different than what Azizov experienced in Ukraine for over a year. I think it's like 10 bombs, they drop it in our town. He says when his family first got here, they were often scared when they heard the sounds of planes overhead. Because... For last year, we like understand if you hear something in the sky, you need to hide somewhere. Azizov and his family are from Koristan, a small city close to the border with Belarus, a close Russian ally. They've been in Jackson for just a few months. Sometimes we dream about to come to the U.S., but like a tourist and not, not like this reason, you know. 
when you go somewhere when you don't want it, it's hard. But all in our minds, it's about our kids and safety, our kids' safety. But it was near impossible to leave Ukraine with his family. The country is under martial law as the war rages on. Here's his cousin, Inez Brunson, who he's living with now. So men between the ages of 18 and 60 aren't legally allowed to leave the country. They're supposed to stay and fight. At first, Azizov's wife and two young kids went to Poland, but he couldn't get across the border. They were separated for two months. But they went back in and then found out that a loophole is that if he was a man that had three children of his own lineage. So that's why we have a five-month-old living with us right now. Bronson says they're called freedom babies. And according to Azizov, having a third child has helped many Ukrainian families escaping the war stay together. Like, uh, we have two kids. We think about third. So if, if that can, like, save our family, too. For me, it's uh, more population of Ukrainian people. <laughs> Once their third child, Olivia, was born, there were still many challenges to getting to the U.S., like days of travel across Eastern Europe, only with a couple of small suitcases. And Azizov's cousin, Inez Brunson, says it took about 15 pages of paperwork per family member to help get them over. Our extended family had to pay for their tickets here, several thousand dollars for all of them to get over here. She says they had a lot of relatives in Ukraine who they were trying to help get out. And it was a bit easier at the start of the war. The first wave of family were able to come here completely free to our expense because there were so many donations. This second round was definitely a bit different because people stopped caring, people stopped donating. Azizov and his family aren't the only Ukrainian refugees in Jackson right now. His aunt, Olga Needham, says there are about 20 of them who all came over because they have family in the region. And they're joining a growing community of Eastern Europeans, like many Moldovans and Romanians, who've come for summer jobs and end up staying, as many Jackson businesses rely on tourism and are constantly in need of workers. But Needham says Eastern Europeans didn't always flock here. I was first 27 years ago. <laughs> Needham was born in Kyrgyzstan. She spent 12 years traveling the world as a trapeze artist and then came to Jackson to teach gymnastics. Why'd she say? Oh, just life, husband, <laughs> kids. My daughter was born here. Job and beauty remind me Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, mountain, yeah, so similar. Her daughter, 26-year-old Inez Brunson, says growing up in one of the most remote areas of the U.S., her family stood out. People called me the Russian, and um, it wasn't like necessarily incorrect because my mom is half and half, which made the war really weird. She's half Ukrainian, half Russian. And now she and her mom have a full house. So my husband said, next time we buy one bedroom home. I'm like, okay. <laughs> There's currently nine people living in the five bedroom house. Upstairs, Azizov's two older kids share a bedroom with his mother, Olga Needham's sister, who also came over from Ukraine. She sleeps on a cot in the corner. And they're living with a lot of dogs, too. Somebody tell me, six dogs, six refugees. It's dog therapeutic for each member family. Yeah. Azizov has been working at the Jackson Hole Airport for a car rental company, sometimes 15-hour days. He's a photographer by trade, but says he's just doing what he needs to for his family. And he wants a more permanent housing situation, but says most places in the area are too expensive. 
he may consider moving to Idaho Falls and doing the two-hour commute to Jackson. So I think, okay, if, if another people can do it, why I'm not? need to wake up early. Another barrier, his wife and kids don't speak English, and it's been hard getting the children into schools. But Aziz and his aunt say the first and third graders will just have to learn the language. Without English, it's very hard, but they hopefully they catch faster. You know. They don't have a choice. <laughs> like they, they need to do this. Jackson residents have helped the family, donating clothes and toys for the kids. Churches and nonprofits have given them gift cards for groceries and gas. And Azizov's aunt recently held a fundraiser at a local dance studio. That money went towards getting them a car. Azizov says he's hopeful the war will end and the family will be able to return to Ukraine soon. But for now... This is beautiful. Everybody's smiling. <laughs> Everybody say hi, you know, and... Uh, it's nice. It's it's different, like and but we understand it's safety, fresh air. <laughs> Surrounded by the sounds of aspens blowing in the wind, Azizov's two older kids jump on a trampoline. They're no longer afraid of the planes that fly overhead, and five-month-old Olivia sleeps soundly, cradled in a stroller. Azizov says growing their family was just another way to adjust to life. Every time after. Wars, every time start the baby boom. It's every time happening. So we started a little bit early. <laughs> Hannah Mersbach, KHL News. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 50 degrees. Thursday, expect sunny skies during the day and partly cloudy skies at night. There's a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms with a high near 80 degrees and a low near 50. Friday, there's a 70% chance of showers and thunderstorms with mostly cloudy skies and a high in the mid-70s. Friday night should be mostly cloudy with a chance of showers and thunderstorms and a low around 45 degrees. This has been the news for Wednesday, August 30th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who has donated to Kodo during our summer fund drive. A huge thank you to Bob Boehner. Emily McGow, Phil Hayden and Lee Sullivan, Kara Pallone and Clyde, Jimmy Moody, Laura Colbert, Jessica Galbo, John Massey, Claybrook Penn, Jess Newins, Scott Upshur, Kate Jones, John Adolph, Janice and Johnny Girona, Douglas Tooley, Patricia McIntosh, Marissa Marshalka, Kyle Kohler, James Van Hooser, Rachel Morrow, Amanda Baltzley, Porter Brown, Virginia and Roy Richards, Otis Kriegel, Evan Eatman, Crocodile Dundee, Jody and Bruce Wright, David Averill, Ian Hebert, Ruth Bender, Craig and Dixie Olson, Ann Higgins, Susan Eastthrope, Kath and Chip Dyer, Paul Fagan, Ryan Henley, Shahid Hassan, and Leroy Layton. Thank you all so much. And now, a personal commentary. The Telluride Choral Society is announcing that their rehearsals for Wintersing 2023 will start on Wednesday, September 6th, 5.30 p.m. at Christchurch. 
Our artistic director, Hal Adler, has some great music in store for you. There will be a hallelujah chorus sing-along and a barbershop Feliz Navidad and many other holiday pieces. So go to TellurideChoralSociety.org for more information and to register. And no experience is necessary, so all are welcome. Just bring your desire to become part of our musical community. Our student singers are directed by Liz Forsythe, and their rehearsals begin on October 4th, grades 3 to 6, 7 to 12. Spread the word. Concert dates for adults and kids will be December 8th and 10th, so put those on your calendar. Wintersing is such a wonderful Telluride tradition. Come join us. Singing has so many benefits, both physically and mentally. This is Ginny Fraser from the Choral Society, and thank you, Kodo. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues. <laughs>